0: Good evening, everybody. Uh, My name is Andre LaRue. I'm the chair of the Community Development Board for the City of Medford. We have a packed agenda tonight, so I will call the meeting to to order. Uh, This is the June 18th, 2020 Community Development uh, Board meeting. We have two public hearings uh, tonight, so we will try to move things along as best we can, but uh, have patience with us. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the Open Meeting Law, General Law Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitation on the number of people that may gather in one place, this hearing of the Medford Community Development Board will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information and the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with a right and or requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website at www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or Medford Community Media website on audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. We're streaming this uh, public meeting on the government channel and online on the Medford Community Media website. And just a reminder, if you wanna participate during the meeting, Questions and comments may be emailed to ocd at medford-ma.gov or submitted via phone to 781-393-2480. That's email to ocd at medford-ma.gov or submitted via phone to 781-393-2480. All votes will be roll call votes And please uh, just a reminder to everyone who speaks to introduce yourselves. And if you are a member of the public to state your name and address for the record. First item on the agenda is the approval of minutes for last month's meeting of May 20th, 2020.
1: Any comments or questions from board members? make a motion uh, to approve the minutes? Thank you. Who is that?
0: Um,
2: uh,
1: Katie McHugh. Katie, hi. Uh, any uh, second?
2: I second that Andre. That's Jackie for title.
0: Thank you.
1: All those, well, not all those. I will go through the roll call. Uh, Katie McHugh.
3: Aye.
1: Christy Dowd. Aye. David Blumberg.
0: Yes. Kleist Andreessen? Yes. Deanna Peabody?
4: Aye.
0: Jacqueline Frotado? Aye. And I'm an aye as well. So the ayes have it. I think we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven full
1: board tonight. Thank you. The next item on the agenda is a public hearing and for the purpose of this uh, let me read the public hearing notice
0: sorry with such a busy agenda we have a lot of a lot of windows open here i'll read the public hearing notice now public hearing notice city of medford mass community development board june 18th 2020 the Medford Community Development Board shall conduct a public hearing on Thursday, June 18, 2020, at 6 p.m. via Zoom remote video conferencing relative to a petition by Mayor Brianna Lungokin to amend Chapter 94, Zoning, Section 94-148D, Table of Use Regulations, for use 18, multiple dwelling not over three stories in height, and use 19, multiple dwelling not over 75 feet or six stories in height where use 18 or use 19 is presently allowed by right, which says yes on the use table, the proposed amendment would require a special permit from the city council marked on the use table as SPC, requiring that at least 25% of the total gross floor area of the development contain non-residential uses permitted by right, or which are authorized pursuant to a special permit in the underlying zoning district, or where relevant, overlying zoning district. As drafted, this amendment would take effect in the Apartment 1, Apartment 2, Apartment 3, C1, and MUZ zoning districts. The full text of the amendment may be viewed in the office of the city clerk or on the city's website at http double www.medfordma.org slash departments slash community development slash by by clicking on current CD board filings. So to make that a little bit more simpler, if you go to the city's website, go on the community development uh, section of the website and you'll be able to find uh, a link that says current CD board filings and it's under there. Again, uh, to participate remotely outside of the virtual platform, questions and comments may be submitted via email. To OCD at medford-ma.gov or via phone to 781-393-2480. And since this is a hearing, uh, I have to reiterate the Governor Baker's order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law, uh, which I just read at the beginning, so I won't read that whole thing right now. So to get things going, uh, I'd like to invite uh, the community development director, acting community development director, uh, Alicia, are you on here? Uh, Alicia Hunt, and uh, to introduce and explain the objective of this proposal.
3: Good evening. Thank you board members and to the public. Um, The mayor has asked me to explain to you what her reasoning is here, because she feels that this is the opening of a conversation and the start of the dialogue. Um, I do wanna preface this by saying I'm a planner. We understand planning, many of you are planners. We actually feel that the right way to go about big picture zoning change is through a comprehensive planning process. And I spoke to many of you in February that we were getting ready to do that. The pandemic hit, things came to a grinding stop. It is later on the agenda is actually to look at the RFP for our comprehensive planning process. Um, We've actually found that there is really significant public engagement going on right now. The public is very interested in everything the city is doing. And so we think it is actually the correct time to start a comprehensive planning process. So that's why we've brought the RFP to review with you this evening. Um, It is also mentioned in the mayor's budget letter, which she presented to the council. So I don't want you to think that we're doing this instead of something like that. Um, that is part of our, our plan. Can't help it, we're planners. Um, the, this zoning amendment however, we're putting forward for discussion tonight and for your review as frankly a stopgap measure. In recent years, essentially all the developments that have occurred in Medford that have come to us for permitting that have been put on our table all been residential. It's very rare that we see anything that is new commercial. I will grant you that we have a BJ's gas station tonight, but it's hard to even say that that is new gas, new commercial. That is a, a change to an existing commercial location. And it's not even a massive, g- I won't go there, but um, essentially we're seeing residential permits coming in, whether they're going through a board process or not. The intention here is that we need a balance. We need a balance between commercial and residential. Um, we were looking for a way to require that there is commercial when residential occurs, that we are careful about this balance between our commercial base and our residential base. Part There's been a lot of talk about budget and revenue. One of the items in your packet this evening that we are able to make available to the public is a letter and assessment from our assessor that helps us understand in more technical terms about the need for commercial versus residential how that impacts how that percentage relationship between them affects the amount of taxes that we pay and how that has been shifting over the last 20 years pretty significantly so that is why we put forward she puts forward the zoning amendment tonight we don't we're not here to say that it's perfect And in fact, one of the things that has come up through our internal discussions is there are in fact, a few amendments that probably do need to be made. And for that purpose, KP law wrote the amendment. They are here this evening um, to speak to that. They are prepared to ask if we, if this board would like to see some language changed to draft those changes um, that they're here, as well as our building commissioner is here. As you all know, the, mayor can propose zoning community development board can make recommendations about it to the city council the city council then in the end votes on zoning changes but in the end it's our um, building commissioner who interprets that zoning so one of the things that annie and i have been discussing with paul Mokey, our building commissioner is how would this be interpreted to make sure that What's written is actually would do what the mayor was intending. Um, so that I've expressed to you her intent, which is around making sure that we don't have only residential development, that both is occurring in this city and that we're keeping a delicate balance in place. Um, I think I'll, I'll pass it back to you to discuss. I'm also prepared to answer questions on it. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Alicia. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, John
0: Witten from JP Law, which is uh, acting as a counsel to the city of Medford at this time and who helped uh, draft this uh, pr- zoning uh, amendment to uh, introduce the the technical aspects of it. I know it's it's difficult for members of the public in particular and even board members to Follow everything. Sometimes you have the use tables. You're looking back and forth, um, and this, you know, one-page amendment, uh, you know, has to has you referencing different parts of the of the zoning code and the zoning map. So, John, if you could just uh, kind of explain the basics of, of what it does, that would be very helpful.
5: Sure. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and and good evening, uh, members of the Community Development Board. Uh, my name is John Witten. I'm an attorney with uh, KP Law. Um, Mr. Chairman, uh, what uh, the draft that the Community Development Board has before you, it's really a revision to the table found in Section 94-148. So it kind of needs a correlation to that table. And like most or- zoning ordinances in the Commonwealth and really throughout the country, there are uses by right, and your table lists those as a yes. There are uses that are prohibited, and those are identified as the word no, And then there is this middle category, uses upon receipt of a special permit from one of many different possible bodies. What this amendment asked the city council to approve is to change uses by right in lines 18 and lines 19. And line 18 is multiple dwelling not over three stories in height and line 19 is multiple dwelling not over 75 feet or six stories in height, change the yes, which is a use by right. The use only requires a building permit, sometimes site plan review, but there's no adjudicative permit required, meaning no special permit required. To change those from a use by right to a use by special permit. And the special permit would be granted by the city council. In addition to the change from by right to by special permit, the requirement would be that 25% of the gross floor area of the development, not necessarily the structure, but the development, be for non-residential uses. So the theory being to encourage mixed-use development. Could be the ground floor, could be other floors, but at least 25% of the development would be non-residential. So from a legal perspective, it's uh, perfectly within the city council's right to adopt this kind of change. It has a rational basis, which is the foundational principle of zoning. And as Alicia said, from a planning perspective, it meets kind of this notion of increasing both rateables through non-residential development, but also kind of fostering a mixed-use approach. Uh, but I uh, couldn't agree with Alicia more that the most important part of all this is to have it fit within the comprehensive plan. And it could be perhaps the cart before the horse, but I think Alicia said it well. It's really a stopgap measure. And in many cases, that's how we have to respond in zoning, to zoning changes in Massachusetts because there is no requirement for a comprehensive plan. So it does satisfy kind of one of the goals of increasing mixed use, of changing what our uses, some uses by right into uses by special permit. And one final thing, Mr. Chairman, for at least for now, unless the, the board has questions, the, when we spoke with the building commissioner um, a week ago, staff and myself and the building commissioner, we, we discussed that the focus of this ordinance before the, the board really is towards the C1 and the MUZ district, that if it were to be applicable to the other districts, apartment one, two, and three, there would have to be some additional changes made to the zoning ordinance. So I'm, I'm really just supporting what Alicia said. It's stopgap, and it focuses specifically on C1 and the MUZ district in terms of its
0: overall effectiveness. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Great. Thank you, Mr. Witten. Uh, let me open it up to uh, questions and comments from the the board members. Uh, Alicia and John are both uh, available to uh, address any any clarifications. And then I think after that, I'll try to I'll throw up, uh, share my screen and throw up the, the city's zoning map to uh, explain so people can see, especially folks who are watching this exactly where the zones are that we're
1: talking about. Kles. You're, you're
6: muted. Thank you. Um, you mentioned 25%. What was it previously?
0: Uh, There was no requirement. It was just an as of right uh, use in those districts.
6: Okay. Um, And this affects buildings of how many units and above?
3: This essentially affects four units or above. Um, One, two, and three units are different lines in our building use of code, our our, uh, use table. So it impacts um, multiple dwellings, not over three stories, but one would assume that one, two, or three dwelling structures are in line 17. So this doesn't impact that. So four units and above. And I'll just clarify, um, Paul's on
7: here too, but um, I think the definition is actually three uh, or more units for um, multiple dwelling structures.
8: It is, Annie. Once you get three or more, it's uh, multiple dwelling or uh, commercial use with any number of residential. That's the other uh, definition of multiple dwelling also.
6: So basically, this is going to inhibit anybody building something that's, let's say, between three and ten units, more or less, probably, right?
3: And this is the argument that we don't think it's going to inhibit people from building it. We think that they're going to say it's worthwhile to build residential in Medford and they will include commercial something as part of their development. That's what we strongly feel. If we wanted to stop development, the, the other the thing to do would be to ask for some sort of moratorium while we did a comprehensive plan.
6: Yeah. No, I agree. I just, I think, um, I think in some cases, and I think we talked a lot about this when we were talking about inclusionary housing. But I I feel like there's a zone in the middle there um, that might act actually like if you were building a four-unit building, you're not going to. That basically one unit goes to, to retail, and, um, you know, if it's on a side street or something, it's it's, uh, it's going to make it tough. I'm not saying that. Um, I don't know. It, it, that's what's on my mind. I, I'm I'm not advocating for one thing or the other yet. Let me
0: just let, let me just throw up my screen with the the zoning map so we can look at it for some reference.
7: Can I just hi? Could I just quickly ask um, how twenty five percent? Well, how that number was determined.
0: Alicia, do you want to take I'm, that?
3: I'm gonna actually going to have to ask John Witten to speak to that because that was in the version as was presented to me. Wait,
1: I have this box. On. John, we can't hear you very well. Yeah, I, I was, I was.
5: Uh... Unmuted just now, so thank you, Mr. Chairman. Okay. Um, so the twenty-five percent was at the mayor's um, request, so that's that's where it came from, and that's where it was drafted. Um, we did. I did speak with the mayor, and I did speak with the mayor's chief of staff at the time, and so there was a discussion about the the numeric. Uh, you know, there's no rational. Um, it was, there's no supporting study that I'm aware of. So the number is as rational as, as kind of any number we find in zoning. Uh, could the city council approve a lower number? Yes. I think the sense from the mayor, and I don't want to speak for the mayor so, uh, or, or for Dave, but my sense from them was that 25% seemed to be low enough to not be punitive, but high enough to actually result in some non-residential construction.
7: Okay, thank you. It just seems to me that there should be some economics tied to it.
6: Um is this only new construction?
5: So uh Mr. Chairman the, the John witt again, yes. Yeah, uh, thank you, John. The new a new zoning ordinance would apply only to new construction. There are a few exceptions under Chapter 48, Section Five, uh to a pre existing structure that or to a special permit that had been applied for. And then 48 section six to a pre-existing structure that sought to expand, alter, or change. But to answer your question directly, the, the intent of the ordinance would be for new construction only, not for pre-existing structures or not for a structure that is already in the pipeline with the building commissioner.
0: So uh before we continue with the, the conversation here, I've I've shared my screen with the zoning map so people can see what uh, we're talking about. Uh, it is you know, we have a very old zoning map uh, from you know the 1960s, so it's uh, it's a little tough. I have to I'll try to zoom in and zoom around a little bit to to see, but just so everybody's clear. This uh, proposal would affect apartment one, apt one, apt two, apt three districts. So Those the apartment one, two, and three districts, as well as the commercial one district, the C one district. So. It does. uh, So if we look, for example, down here in the Wellington area. It also affects the MUZ, the mixed urban uh, zone. This is uh, the only MUZ district in the city. It is, has already been redeveloped as part of the Wellington station project. So that's included. The plaza at Wellington uh, is included as a large C1 district. Does not include all of these parcels along Route 16 uh, and up all the way, you know, up towards the uh, Budweiser site. That's all industrial. Industrial is not included in this uh, because in the industrial districts as well as the C2 districts, commercial two districts, are uh, Housing is currently not allowed in those districts so that there's no need to uh, to change this. This is only changing as of right, yes uses to special permit by city council with the 25% commercial threshold requirement. So there's a number of things that we as a board can do tonight, um, you know, city council has uh, Referred this to us for our public hearing. We want to hear from the members of the public what they think. We can um, make provide feedback. Uh, Alicia mentioned that I think they're open to uh, suggestions and improvements. Um, or we could, uh, you know, adopt like re- recommend it as is or disapprove it as is. So there's uh, there's a number of things that we can do there.
2: This is Jackie. Um, I actually have, um, and I don't mean to get hung up on this whole 25%, but going back to what Christy had asked and, um, and then hearing the argument, uh, or uh, in, uh, when Alicia was speaking for the mayor, there obviously needs to be a balance between commercial and residential base. We understand that, and it has to, we have to be careful about this balance. So again, this 25% is not, it's not based on an economic metric, and I'm not sure that it's a smart growth initiative. So I'm just trying to better understand how we know that this is that careful balance. And so I guess we'll to a metric to get stronger support for it, so that we can all better understand.
0: Right, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, twenty-five percent is 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 more than uh, first floor in many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. which could be an awkward threshold. So you know we could make a recommendation that maybe 25% uh, isn't the right amount, or perhaps we don't like the, the threshold at all, uh, but that's really up for the members to, to decide. Uh, I just wanna point out around Medford Square and Salem Street, these are also large C1 districts that would be included. So this is from the uh, current Target Plaza down Salem Street to Medford Square and uh, a lot of Medford Square is C1 as well. And there's also apartment two districts around the square. So the Medford Square would be uh, affected by, by this. And then there's little pockets of apartment one and apartment two and other uh, parts of the city. I will note, because this is something that people will ask about, the Mystic Avenue corridor, which has been a uh, topic of hot debate is a C2 district, so this is would not be affected by this zoning amendment. And this part of it is also industrial, so.
3: All right, and so if I might say one of the things that we are seeing is that in a lot of those C1 districts, you can right now build a multi-unit, a 40 unit and a 400 unit residential as of right, without having to do anything else, without having to do any commercial. And that is actually one of the things that is, we've seen some of those go through. We've heard about a few, we see some lots that might be appropriate. That's part of what is very concerning is those 40 unit and 400 unit residential apartments in our commercial districts where they're tearing down commercial to do it. Um, And to be clear, this would not impact the 40 b's that are currently on the table they go through a different process anyhow and the permits already filed with the city
6: thank you alicia so i would just i just my final thought on that is now after seeing the zoning map i think um you know this makes a lot of sense to me i think um you know seeing all the documents about the taxes and um where precisely um this is being targeted um i I, I agree with this
0: so one question i'd like to pose to the the members is whether um the uh, apartment one, and apartment two districts are, need to be treated differently than the C1 and the MUZ district. Uh, and what you think about that. I think the the zoning districts with the apartment one and two, and I should note here, although the zoning amendment includes apartment three, there is no apartment three districts currently in the city. So that's one thing that I'd, I'd recommend just taking out completely. Uh But apartment one and apartment two districts are in currently uh, kind of residential or or mixed use areas already, Um, uh, you know, abutting abutting residential uh, properties. So they may be smaller scale uh, residential properties. And, you know, I think the threshold needs to be really looked at for the apartment uh, zones because, like, for example, on Salem Street, do we want to say that you couldn't put a, uh, you know, a small, Uh, multifamily building uh, or if you do would there have to be 25 percent threshold uh, instead of just a first floor storefront space
6: i think all your arguments are really good andre and i i think this you know this needs a lot of consideration and it also needs you know and i think that's the intent of of the master plan that that's that's potentially in the works but to to what i've heard before you know this is a bit of a stopgap measure to prevent you know sort of the predatory development that we're seeing in the city so i i agree with all what you're saying but i feel like those are all things that need to be incorporated in a much more um, comprehensive way into the master plan but as far as this taking it at face value as a stopgap measure I think it seems to make sense.
3: There's there's one thing that I want to call your attention where I believe that we probably do want to look at some amendments still language. Right now obviously in a commercial district what you would expect is commercial uses are allowed as of right. Therefore, exactly as this is written makes sense in our commercial district and our Muzz district. In apartment one, two and three, however, we do not allow, not either as of right or by special use, retail sales, eating places, customer service um, businesses, basically a number of the things that you would think we want on that first floor level, if it was a a mixed use development. And so there would need to be an additional piece added to this that would allow those types in some, in conjunction with residential, uh, as of right, with special permit, something right now they're not allowed and therefore would require a use permit which is very difficult in the city of Medford right now. So really would actually, without adding in some of those, would actually make development very, very difficult. Whereas in the commercial districts, this makes more sense as written. That's why I mentioned that John is here and he could, he is both a planner and a lawyer. I don't know if those of you know John Winton, he's been teaching at Tufts in the planning school for many years. Um, but he is prepared to take direction on change that people may want to see in the
0: language. Uh, do board other board members want to make any comments or questions before we open it to members of the public? We can come back and discuss after the members of the public have spoken about what we were what we're going to do.
9: Andre, this is Dave. Yes, David. Um, question to the city: Do we have any data to support the? belief that this change will encourage commercial or not discourage other developments? Are there other cities who have taken similar steps? So we have some examples to look to. I'm a little skeptical about this type of a move and the presumption that commercial development is going to follow. It seems to me a developer is all the developers are telling you now that they want residential. I think there's a lot of push behind residential. You're getting that from many levels, from the government, lenders, the community. Demand is there. I'm not sure those same developers are going to want to engage in this sort of development with this condition attached to it when we have pretty dour commercial retail futures ahead of us. At least that's the way things are looking currently. So if you had some data and some other cities to point to, I think I'd I'd certainly like to hear about that.
3: So what I can offer you is that we have not uh, looked at this specifically with other cities. We are aware that Medford is an extremely desirable place to live right now. It is a very hot development area. People are developing as residential lots that we never thought um, would be developed. We didn't protect conservationally because we never thought people would spend the money it would take to develop these lots. Um, we are seeing a lot of residential. Um, I am happy to offer that staff in the planning office could do some research on this. some you know, what are other people doing, other communities um, to present to you before uh, a subsequent meeting on this topic? Um, I actually have. Uh, Five graduate students working for us right now in the planning office. They all have assignments, but certainly somebody could um, do precedent research on this. Thank
0: you, David. That was uh, Christy.
7: No, I was gonna say, well, I I appreciate David's comments because I think the city has to ask itself why is commercial development not a draw here? What is it about the city um, that's not driving that commercial development. Um, I know housing is a priority so and that's where sort of the financing market has been for developers as well. Um, but I I do want to go back to the apartment one and apartment two. I think that they should be looked at differently because some of those areas are a little more sensitive and may not, um, those two uses together may not really work well together and with commercial use in you know, some of these apartment one areas that I see may not um, really have the access and uh, the the resources needed to support whatever commercial goes there. Um, So I I think C1 and the MUZ districts make sense. They're larger, they have more accessibility, um, more traffic and parking infrastructure. But I do think, you know, having a closer look at some of the other areas would be important and just not do a blanket change. So that's
0: it. Thank you, Christy. Uh, Other board members before we go to the public? Okay, seeing none, let's uh, open a portion of the public hearing uh, for community members if you are on the Zoom meeting. Uh, there is a function to raise your hand. So please use that and city staff will, uh, will
1: essentially call on you and give you the opportunity to speak. So Annie, can you help me identify because I have a lot of things open on my computer here.
4: Okay.
3: William Navarre is, sorry, I think I got your first name right. Um, raising your hand, um, I, should don't
10: should. I unmute him? I think
3: I'm unmuted. Okay. ready? Yes. William so please,
0: your uh, name and address for the public, for the record. Right.
10: Uh, William Navar, 108 Medford Street, apartment 1B. I want Thank to you. speak against this zoning proposal. The city of Medford assesses a higher mill rate on commercial versus residential land use. I can only presume that the goal here is to discourage landowners to have commercial uh, land use instead of residential. Because if you convert from commercial to residential, you get a discount. Whereas if you do the other way, you get a tax hike. Why would we have a tax policy that discourages commercial, but a zoning policy that demands it? Why would we have our two policies working in opposite directions? Shouldn't they sort of go in the same direction? I suspect the increased revenue is indeed the true motivation. And I agree with the goal of increased revenue. I'm fine with that. But if the commercial is only put there in order to satisfy the requirement and the demand for housing that the market has, then the higher mill rate on commercial that they will be required to pay on account of that is not truly borne by that commercial because the market didn't put the commercial there, the zoning did. That means that it's a discouragement to housing. It's effectively a backdoor way to increase the mill rate on sites used for housing. Personally, I wouldn't oppose just simply uh, uh, increasing the mill rate. But what you're doing is you're going to essentially effectively increase the mill rate only on sites actually used for housing. You're a land speculator, an empty lot waiting for it to go up and up, ripen. You don't pay any extra taxes under this. Only people who actually are going to pay higher taxes are the ones who are doing a good thing are trying to provide housing during a housing crisis. If this were going to increase the taxes on the land itself that's sitting there speculatively, well, that's great. I'd support this. But you're you're putting this essentially a higher tax on building housing, not on speculators, just on actually building housing, something our community needs. Uh, and I think that's a problem because when you do that, That empty lot is gonna stay empty for a longer amount of time until the house rent, that is the rent an actual person pays for an apartment, until that advances beyond its current level, or or what would otherwise be necessary without this. It's gonna discourage housing. I don't see how it can't, because when you make something more expensive to do, you discourage that. And our tax code is supposed to be discouraging residential, I can only imagine. I mean, I'm sorry, discouraging commercial we've got We've got two things working against each other here, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Thanks.
0: Great, thank you, Mr. Navarre. Uh, and as to your your point, just for folks who are not familiar with the kind of the the mill uh, kind of verbiage there that was used, it's basically the the property tax rates of the commercial and residential are different in the city of Medford so Uh, I did look up what they are. The commercial property tax rate is $17 and 57 cents. uh, And the residential
1: tax rate is $9 and 18 cents. That's per thousand. Great. Other members of the public that wish to speak? raise your hand digitally.
0: We can't actually see you, so don't raise your hand on your screen. Use the raise hand function that should be uh, down below on your screen. Or you can email uh, or
1: call the, the email address or number that was read at the beginning of the public hearing. And I think Lorena has some um, comments that have been submitted via email
7: and via phone uh, to read into the record. Also, just to clarify, if you don't see the raise hand function, uh, you can click on the participants tab on the bottom of your screen and that will open the sidebar with the raise hand option. You can also send a chat to me uh, to unmute you if you don't see that.
0: Great, thank you, Annie. So will Lorena read those now?
7: I received one comment from a Medford resident named Alex Lussenhop of 28 Right Ave. His comments are as follows. While preserving or requiring some commercial isn't necessarily a bad idea, the requirements as written would be a big impediment to creating any housing, especially new affordable housing. Even if well-intended, this item meets serious changes or it will contribute To rising housing costs by making Medford's housing shortage
1: even worse. Great, thank you, Lorena. Um, I also
0: received an email from Roberta Cameron, um, kind of not an official correspondence. So I'll just paraphrase here. I think. She believes that there's a legitimate concern about the conversion of some of our predominantly commercial areas to residential use. Uh, And the kind of lack of clarity in the zoning sometimes makes for contentious hearings. So uh, more clarity would be good, uh, especially through a comprehensive plan that identifies our our land use goals for the city. However, this proposal does not distinguish between neighborhoods where integrated mixed use, meaning residential and commercial in the same building could be appropriate and feasible uh, versus areas where development of either residential or commercial would be preferable. So I think she's looking for a finer finer analysis on the the different zoning districts. So, and also raises the question of whether, uh, you know, residential, developments uh, actually cost the city money versus generating revenue. Um, it would be good to have some more information about that. So I think some of the, you know, the significant multifamily properties, are they are they costing the city or are they actually uh, generating revenue for the city?
3: If you don't mind, that's actually a good point. That's something that has been brought up in some of our staff conversations is that residential As people who live here, it increases our need for police, for fire, for schools, for other services, for social services, for all the things that a city does, Um, whereas commercial typically does not increase those needs. Um, There might be specific kinds of commercial. Uh, Typically, those are called out separately in our zoning code. Um, But that we do, you don't have more students in your schools because of a new restaurant.
0: Right, I, I will actually just kind of to, to respond to that a little bit, Alicia, there is a body of of research, growing research around, um, I think that's the kind of the narrative around uh, residential development, but that's, uh, you know, it's a little bit, it's questionable. So I think looking at some of the, the research um, would be good because it may depend community by community as well. And I think, uh, you know, there have been studies that have shown that, uh, you know, multi-residential developments, like large residential developments actually generate quite a bit. And in some cases, you know, big box stores or like the plazas and, uh, you know, large retail might actually have a lot more, um, you know, public service calls to them than residential properties might.
3: So. um, If you could share that to us and either if it's appropriate to the whole board or we can have somebody in our office summarize information that's relevant for the board uh i think some of them would be our staff would be happy
0: okay but i do well i do think since it does vary from community to community it would be interesting to to go back to the assessor if we can and look at those specific properties where there have been residential developments that have uh have been built and try to understand what the the fiscal impact if we can of those of those developments um i don't know if we can get a sense of that without a full study, but uh, maybe a sense of it.
4: Andrea,
1: I have a question. Yes, Katie. Uh, so let, let me just say, are there any other members of the public that would like to speak? Seeing none,
0: I'd like to close the uh, this the portion of the, the
1: public hearing um, for right now. Yes, go ahead, Katie. Thanks. Alicia, is the type
2: of um, commercial
7: um, sort of spelled out or is it, it's left pretty open to, um, you know, sort of resident, uh, restaurant rather, versus retail, you know, all of those sorts of things.
3: I, um, I'm gonna ask uh, Paul Moki, our building commissioner to listen and make sure I don't misspeak on this because he knows our code better than I do. Um, there are a number of types of commercial establishments that are called out individually in our zoning code. Um, but there's general public-ish use, places of worship, schools, nursery schools, um, museums, but then po- called out as, as specific line items include body art and um, Lodging house and hotel and different size hotels and assisted living, medical office, business offices are separate. Different sizes of them are separate. Um, different vehicle things are separate, like gasoline service station, vehicle sales, car wash facilities. Um, I like this one. Paranormal paranormal service and sales gets its own line. <laughs> um, Drive-in eating places, adult bookstore, mortuary undertaking, adult motion picture. All of these are their own lines, adult video store. There is a bucket that says retail sales. That's one line. Eating place other than a drive-in eating place is one line. So your generic retail and your generic eating have their own lines. But then a lot of the uses that people are more likely to not want to live next to including automotive sales and printing and publishing are all separate lines. Okay. So it could be dictated yes or no differently. Okay. Um, I'm also happy to send a copy of just the four and a half pages that is our table use table to the board, the entire document you should all have access to is extraordinarily large I find it helpful when somebody gives me just the sections that we
7: agree yeah my question Alicia that's really helpful my question about um sort of restaurants specifically I think in my mind I was thinking about where we might stand with liquor license in the city and I know that's a much bigger conversation Um, but I would just you know if we're if we're thinking about what might go into particularly like a first floor of a residential building um, at, you know, I just, I know from working with lots of cities and towns around the state that that's obviously a big factor when they're thinking about the kind of restaurant that might go into a commercial space. So just something that- right.
3: prop- Bars are not allowed in the city of Medford at this time,
4: explicitly.
3: Right. And then Paul, can you, we have a limited number of liquor licenses or no, that's only for alcohol sales for stores. There's a limited number of stores. Is that correct?
8: Yeah, for the retail sales is what you're talking about, Alicia. That's correct. There's a limit on those type of licenses, right? I'm not sure what the exact number is, but there is a limit on that.
3: So I'm aware that in order for Mm -hmm. Wegmans to have alcohol sales, they had to purchase a liquor license from an existing alcohol retail store in Medford, which then closed. Mm -hmm. Um, And but restaurants, it's, it's... not a limit by the number of restaurants correct it's the size there are other rules that are around the size of the
8: restaurant right those will be the government by the the uh, liquor license commission i'm not sure and um neither one of us are sure those who are involved in that aspect of the permitting that's just strictly handled by the licensing commission but just a, a quick comment on one of the earlier discussions on the commercial space uh right now there's really no there's really no specific definition of commercial in this proposed ordinance amendment. But usually, uh, as Alicia mentioned, some specific uses. uh, As far as the building code and the zoning from a permitting uh, point of view, if something is anything other than a residential dwelling unit, it falls under that broad umbrella of commercial use. And uh, it's more like um, kind of semantics with the terminology because industrial In commercial, it's a little bit of splitting here, but I think uh, for right now, what's in front of the board, uh, commercial would be just considered anything that's not a residential living uh, or or dwelling unit.
1: Right,
0: I think the language is non-residential.
3: But the the language as written um, would allow in the commercial zone anything that's allowed as of right or special permit to be part of that 25% and is in the apartment would allow anything that is allowed or special use to be part of that 25% but at this time is actually limited to a very uh odd number of things so would in fact have this issue of kind of forcing the limit of development because All those things that you might think of as commercial traditionally aren't actually allowed in apartment one and apartment two. And the things that are allowed tend to be schools and places of worship and public library, um, more public, what I would think of myself as public buildings, um, as opposed to commercial for profit. So that's one of the reasons why I would hate to see this passed exactly as is without some understanding or change around that apartment one and two district, where we would in fact, effectively limit any development in apartment one and two zones. And that was not actually our intent.
0: Right. Other comments or questions from board members? I'll say myself that I, you know, I wouldn't be ready to uh, vote on this uh, amendment tonight. I would like to see the, the administration uh, take a closer look at the different zoning districts and make sure that the the threshold makes sense and that the language around what kind of commercial we're um, asking for in each district makes sense. I tend to think that, uh, You know, there may be areas in the apartment one, apartment two, where we don't want to have a a commercial threshold and probably 25% is too large. Uh, It may be appropriate for the the C1 district, but if you also look at uh, Medford Square as a C1 district, um, I want to make sure that, you know, we're allowing residential above first floor commercial and 25% may actually be a barrier to that. So just want to make sure that I'd like the city to, uh, you know, the administration to to come back with a little bit new, more nuanced proposal uh, on this um, next month.
2: Andre, I actually would like to give a motion to move the uh, this uh, topic to our next board meeting so that the administration has a time to um, actually answer. Uh, to your recommendations.
0: Thank you, Jackie. So we have a motion to continue the public hearing till uh, the next next community development meeting, board meeting. Is there a second?
7: I second, Christy. And on, Andre, just to jump in there to a date certain. Um, we are currently gonna do our next board meeting on uh, July 16th.
0: All right, thank you, Annie. Uh, to continue the meeting to July 16th. That's the motion. I second. All right, any comments on the motion? Yes, Under class. Comment. Both David and then class.
9: I just wanna make sure that the city's ready. I don't want the city to force itself to come forward and not, not have the time to deliberate over this. Think about it a little bit more. It seems like there's a little more legwork that's needed. If that needs to go to a later date, I think that would be a better use of everyone's
0: time, if need be.
3: I think Alicia, I'm-
0: would you like this to come back next month or uh, two months?
3: Um, I think that I'd like to have the flexibility to come back next month and it is, and that people wouldn't be upset if what we came back with is here's where we are so far and we would actually like to then continue it again. Um, there's... Um, Annie's asking about reporting back out to council, but we actually, I mean, we checked through a bunch of legal that this does not have to come back out to council too quickly. Um, So I think next month is enough time for us to do a bunch of research um, between the graduate students and we can um, work with KP law um, and look at some uh, research. I'm okay with coming back, that's a month from now and see where uh, we stand. So, okay. if um, I would hope that if we have concrete language to provide for you as a new recommendation, we would have that at least five business days before the, main, the next meeting. Um, but that if we're just gonna give you research and ask you to continue it again, um, then you would not be upset that we couldn't, couldn't pull it off that quickly.
0: Great, thank you. And I know uh, Alicia would be great for, uh, people who are listening to this and even board members to go back and look closely at their uh, uh, The zoning map and and maybe uh, drive around
1: a little bit and see what the zones look like on the ground. Yes, Quest? Are we uh, I'm sorry if I'm not
6: clear, but are we voting on this or are we? i um, sending a recommendation to City Council
0: well the ultimately the we would have to recommend something to the city council the motion on the floor is to continue this public hearing till next month so um, that the city and board members can get more information and then we can uh you know discuss it and reopen the public comment period again if there's a new recommendation or amendments to that and again as alicia said we could then do a further continuance after that if more work is needed or if the administration is not ready. But uh, or you know if they want uh, if they want us to, to to act on what's in front of us, they can let us know.
6: Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I guess. Can I make another comment? Sure. I, it, it feels to me like there's a little bit of ambiguity ambiguity around the district question within the board but I do feel like the the spirit of this um, proposed change has to do with um, trying to create you know trying to make it harder to create developments that are inappropriate um, to where they're being put which is what I see as a problem in the city and I feel like we as a board need to act quickly if we are going to make a recommendation for this because you know every every meeting we delay there's the potential that um, another project which isn't a good fit for the city of Medford will be submitted for permit and potentially by right uh, be approved so I just want to make that clear like this I, I don't feel if to me I don't feel like this is a thing we should sit on um if we want to if we want to suggest changes I think that's that's fine I think the apartment thing apartment one and two thing to me are very potential places for recommendations but I do think we need to act swiftly on this
3: so John I make sure that I don't misspeak on this but what I how I was how I I was told was that because we advertised this ordinance in the paper last week, if somebody were to file a building permit tomorrow and then the ordinance was to pass, it's actually retroactive to the date it was advertised in the paper. Um, So if somebody filed a 400 unit building next week and then this passed, this would apply to it, even though it wasn't finalized when they filed. It prevents them from seeing us advertise and then rush in a bunch of permit applications before the deliberation and the finalization of the law occurs.
0: John, do you wanna speak to that at all to confirm or? There's gotta be some sort of stop date on that though, right?
5: Yes, thank you, Mr. Chairman. So one of the peculiarities of the zoning act Is that the vested rights provisions, the way to avoid a zoning ordinance, can be defeated by the first advertisement of the zoning change. So it's 48 Section 5 and 48 Section 6. So the first advertisement date of this ordinance will be the effective date for an application pending the result of the city council vote. So if the city council were to approve this in one form or another, the effective date will be the first advertisement date. If the city council does not approve it, then of course it becomes nullity. So the act of advertising for a special permit requirement does have the effect of making the ordinance effective as long as the city council votes it. So Alicia your your commentary was absolutely correct. There are some exceptions which I'm happy to go into, but as a general premise, the first advertisement does have the effect of making the ordinance effective provided that the city council passes it. And 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 I apologize if that sounds confusing, but that is our zoning act unchanged since 1975 and we're still dealing with some very antiquated provisions, but the first advertisement date is the magic
0: moment. Right, and that's, that's state law. And the first uh, first advertising was when it was advertised uh, on the city council agenda, correct?
5: No, the local newspaper, Mr. Chairman. So okay, when it was okay. first advertised in the uh, p- a paper of general circulation for the city. Right, but so for the city
0: council not- meeting? No?
5: no, for
3: our meeting. They-
0: Prior meeting,
5: the, okay.
3: This city council didn't advertise it in the paper. Oh, this oh meeting's that's right, yes. advertisement was the first advertised in the paper, so Right.
0: Thank you for the correction. Expecting. Yep. Great, thank you, John. Other board members, we, ha- we do have a motion on the floor. Uh, so this is just comments on the motion. Otherwise, we will move to a roll call vote. All right, seeing none. Uh, I move to a roll call vote. Katie McHugh.
2: Aye.
0: Christy Dowd. Aye. And remember, uh, uh, yes, an aye vote is to continue the uh, the hearing till next month. David Blumberg. Aye. Wes Andresen. Abstain. Deanna Peabody. I'm sorry, Deanna?
2: Aye.
0: Uh, Jacqueline Furtado?
2: Aye.
0: And I am an aye as well. So by a vote of six in favor, one abstention, the matter is continued to the, the next community development board meeting on July 16th. Is that right, Annie? You got the date right? Okay, thank you. Great, right, thank you, everybody.
5: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, members of the board.
0: Uh, The next item on the agenda is another public hearing. This is for a proposed, um, for a site, a special permit, site plan review application at 278 Middlesex Avenue. And I will read the, the public hearing notice. Just get the window open. Public hearing notice, City of Medford, Mass, Community Development Board, June 18th, 2020. The Medford Community Development Board shall conduct a public hearing on Thursday, June 18th, 2020 at 6.45 p.m. via Zoom remote video conferencing relative to a special permit uh, slash site plan review application submitted by BJ's Wholesale Club to construct a self-service fueling station within a portion of the existing parking area at 278 and zero Middlesex Avenue and allowed use in an industrial zoning district. The site is currently occupied by an existing BJ's wholesale club with associated surface parking and site improvements. The proposed facility will be comprised of a 200, approximately 200 square foot kiosk slash gasoline attendant facility with canopy uh, about well 4,525 square feet and a six dispenser service pump island. A copy of the application may be viewed in the Office of Community Development, room 308, or on the city's website at uh, the community development website uh, section by clicking on current CD board filings. To uh, just a reminder to participate remotely outside of the the virtual platform, questions and comments may be submitted via email to ocd at medford-ma.gov or via phone to 781-393-2480. For accommodations, call seven eight one three nine three two four eight zero. TTY seven eight one three nine three two five one six. Again, you can email OCD at medford-ma.gov or phone seven eight one three nine three two four eight zero. Uh I'll, as well, I need to reiterate Governor Baker's March 12th 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law uh, About gathering in one public gatherings uh, So which is why the hearing of the Metro community development board is conducted via remote participation Thank you, I'd like to invite the project proponent to come forward and uh present the project to the board please um
11: <clears throat> yes uh, that's mark mark vaughn is that right uh yes it is uh uh good evening mr chairman and uh, members of the board it's a uh, pleasure to appear before you virtually here for the hearing um for the record attorney mark vaughn with the law firm of and bronstein representing b chase wholesale club uh with us uh, before we start, I was going to maybe ask if I could indulge you, Mr. Chairman, if through either Annie or Alicia, would it be possible to share the screen for our uh, civil engineer uh, at Bowler to be able to just put some, have, have some slides available as part of our presentation?
7: Yes. Uh, what is the civil engineer's name so
1: I can find him on here?
11: Um, Austin Turner. Um, but I could get started. So as we're not, uh, wasting your time, but I have a, a, a few folks that are, um, uh, with me tonight, uh, virtually, Mr. Chairman, that will be uh, part of the, the, the team here to make any presentation or answer any uh, questions you may have. But, uh, Patrick Natriba, who is, um, director of real estate for BJ's um also Austin Turner who was with Bowler Engineering the civil engineering firm of record and then uh, we have Sean um sorry Sean uh, Kelly who is our um traffic engineer with Vanoss and Associates who um prepared the uh traffic analysis that was submitted uh with the application so um again we're here talking about the BJ's Wholesale Club which is located at uh, 278 Middlesex Avenue, Uh, this shows uh, the site. It's a a long rectangular site. I I suspect that the board members are all familiar with the the property to some degree or another in terms of either having been there uh, at one point if you're a a member of of BJ's, but uh, the site has access on both the uh, Fellsway um, as well as on uh, Middlesex Avenue as well, which is what its uh, legal address is. It's a rather large site. It's about nine acres uh, in size. Um, And um, the uh, application that has been submitted uh, to the board uh, is for a uh, gasoline uh, service station use that would be put into that far north, um, I guess, west corner up uh, nearest uh, Middlesex Avenue there, where um, Austin is kindly circling uh, with his uh, mouse, I believe, right now. The, the location. Um, so pursuant to the requirements of the, uh, the Medford zoning ordinance, um, actually the gasoline service station use is allowed by right in the underlying industrial zoning district. Uh, however, under your uh, zoning provisions, it's considered a major project. Uh, so therefore, it does require um, special permit site plan review uh, from the community development board in this instance, uh, because the the use itself is a by right use in the, in the use table. Um, I know you have a communication from the building commissioner, Mr. Mokey uh, that uh, speaks to that um, as well. So uh, we, th- we believe the property is very well suited for the, uh, the proposed use and the location that we're uh, talking about. It's uh, in that far corner of the property, uh, well removed from the uh, residential neighborhood to the Southeast. But also just in terms of the functionality of the site, by being able to locate it where we are are talking about, it does not interfere with the operations of the of the main store facility that front parking field. Um, So it uh, actually it's an ideal layout in terms of how that all interacts um, with respect to the 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 site layout. And as I'm sure some of you are aware, there is a national grid substation facility that uh, exists between our property and the residential zone to the southeast. That's where the mouse is right now um, that Boston's pointing out. Um, So I'm going to, you know, Patrick Netreba was going to speak after me just to talk a little bit about BJ's in terms of what their um, intent is here, but uh, not to steal any of his thunder, but um, it's really meant to provide an amenity for their uh existing uh, customers they've done this at at many of their locations Uh, it's limited to members only and um, again it provides uh, an opportunity for existing customers to be able to go to the site if they are shopping and they have the ability to get gas either either before or after their um, shopping visit without having to make uh, multiple trips so um there wouldn't be any vehicle service here it's not a mechanic with a bay or anything like that no convenience store um, um all that would be sold out of that kiosk would be folks that need to renew their membership if for some reason their membership uh, has expired so i think the board or, or the, the the city is familiar with this type of operation in the context of a uh, a store having this as a component that the, the stop and shop uh, down on the Fellsway also has a, a gas uh, facility for stop and shop members. Uh, so and I'm, I'm sure you're all uh, familiar with that um, location. So um, we did go through the Conservation Commission approval process. Um, it does uh, border some uh, bordering vegetated wetlands to, to the northwest of the of the property. So we did go through a process with the Conservation Commission where ultimately they voted uh, unanimously in support of uh, an order of conditions uh, for the project. Again, we're not talking about expanding any pavement or anything along those lines. All of the uh, site improvements would be taking place within existing paved surface. In fact, we're adding a, a fair amount of open space, new landscaping, um, a little over 4,000 square feet from what I um, understand, and I, I know our engineer can walk through that. Um, so. Uh, We did submit today um, to the board, uh, Mr. Chairman, just a uh, a communication uh, summarizing, you know, what we believe to be the uh, special permit site plan criteria and uh, how we feel that the application does satisfy those. Uh, Certainly, we can expand upon that tonight to the extent necessary, but we thought it would be helpful to um, try to articulate, at least from our position, how, you know, those various criteria are satisfied. so just one item I did want to mention, uh, because I know that, um, before I turn it over to Patrick, uh, we did receive, um, the night before last a communication by, uh, the attorney representing the, uh, owners of the gas station and the car wash and, and some other, uh, area residents, um, uh, expressing concern, um, about the project. Um, it raised some items with respect to the traffic study analysis and, uh, wetlands issues, which, I think our respective consultants could certainly address as needed. But I, I did want to just mention one item. So we, there was something in there about um, just uh, the the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on BJ's operations and suggesting that our traffic analysis may be insufficient or, or flawed, perhaps, because it didn't address pandemic-related uh, traffic. And There were some photos that were included, uh, dated March 13th and March 20th, showing BJ's um, in terms of activity within the parking lot uh, during those dates. So as the board may recall, on March 13th, uh, the president of the United States actually declared a national state of emergency uh, due to the uh, pandemic. Um, And that uh, certainly resulted in a lot of folks, um, including I suspect many of you, Um, you know, running to grocery stores and stores like BJ's to stock up on food, water, supplies, uh, not knowing what the the future might hold. I I actually remember vividly that day, the March 13th, because I had to bring my son back home from college, uh, driving home from Pennsylvania, because uh, that was, uh, school was was basically canceled for the remainder of the semester. So um, I I know we all heard stories about folks running out of essentials and the the run on toilet paper and uh sanitary wipes and and, and things of that nature uh, which went on for a number of days so BJ's is certainly you know proud of that it and its employees were able to step up and provide that opportunity for residents of the city to be able to to, to utilize the, the store during that busy time uh but I just I, I wanted to mention it because I, I, I don't think the pandemic should be used as a as an opposition point as I, I don't think it's appropriate. But um, and I just wanted the board to understand the context of those photos on March 13th and March 20th in terms of just what was happening in, in the world at that particular point in time. So um, I've kind of babbled on enough here, uh, Mr. Chairman. So if I could, I'd just maybe turn it over to Patrick to speak uh, briefly about BJ's and their um excitement to continue their investment here in the community so thanks
12: thank you mark that's great thank you very much for your babbling we we, we all appreciate it sir um, and thank you mr. chairman for your your time tonight as well as members of the board and and the public we we appreciate everybody doing this it's it's not easy I never thought I'd be doing a public hearing from uh, my guest bedroom but but here I am um, we're very excited to, to be here we uh, some of the process uh, with the Conservation Commission, and through that, we we had our ears open uh, and and eyes open to the community and and to listen and and that's my point to you tonight, Mr. Chair, as well as the rest of the folks on the call is, is that we are here to listen and, and my team is here to listen. We we know we're in a neighborhood. We we know we have neighbors. We've we've been here for 36 years, which is a long time. Um, this is our first club. It's it's a special for us and one that we we hold near and dear. There's a there's a silver shovel hung up in the in the home office for, for Medford. Um, so we 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 think of ourselves as part of the community and, and we hope you do too. Um, we've heard a lot of of thoughts and comments over the years from members about adding a gas station. I, I can't tell you how many hundreds it's probably closer to a thousand of people who keep asking us why we can't why they can't the members of your community can't have gas at, at their club that they've been going to for, for decades um, Recently I got an email from a guy who says why do I got to go to Revere why do I got to go to Stoneham and, and I'm left with no response so uh, we're here to serve our members we're here to provide value people people pay a membership to come to BJs they can go to stop and shop for free but when you, you go to BJ's you, you paid the 50 bucks and you paid the 75 or even hundred for that matter, and you expect value. So one of the ways we offer value is, is in our club with great, great prices on toilet paper and, and products that, that we all need, as well as gasoline. So um, that's why we're here before you tonight. And uh, and we're, we're really thankful to be here and thank you for your time, Mr. Chairman. So with that, I will, will hand it off to Austin Turner, who is our project civil engineer. Uh, good
13: evening. Mr. Chair, members of the board, and, and to everybody in the little Hollywood squares uh, on my screen. Um, what, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to walk you through the, the site plan, how, how it kind of came to be the evolution of things. Uh, we've, as Patrick mentioned, we've been working on this for a very long time. This, this didn't just kind of happen overnight. It certainly wasn't instant coffee by any means. And uh, it, it's been given a lot of thought, and, and it's evolved, and frankly, for the better, as, as a result of a lot of the discussions we've already had with with the city team, the conservation commission, and feedback that was received directly as part of that public hearing process, um, as, as you can see, the, the the project, and as Mark and Patrick noted, the the fueling facility that we're proposing is located in the, the southeast corner of the property, and, and really that location was selected because, as Mark as Mark mentioned, it it's separated quite significantly from the front of the club and, and the core operations components of the facility. And and frankly, it's located in a, in a substantially underutilized portion of of the parking area where, where that historically we don't get um, usage of. So it makes sense from that point. It, it makes sense from a traffic distribution perspective, which Sean Kelly will, will speak to um, here in a few minutes. Uh, but it's been given a lot of thought and worked very closely, as I mentioned with the city and and the BD operations team to find the appropriate location. I'm going to zoom in here quickly for you. Everybody can see that. So this is kind of a a tighter crop of the site and it's going to help me kind of explain some, some more of the details. Um, As you can see, and as I mentioned previously, we we have the the facility located up on Middlesex Avenue and and what we've incorporated here. And as was mentioned in the beginning of the Discussion: we are substantially reducing the amount of impervious surface associated with this, with the current site, uh, a reduction of, of over 4,000 square feet. What, what that allows us to do is, is to incorporate uh, a lot of additional landscaping and green space and, and buffering from Middlesex Avenue. As you can see up on the road, we've incorporated um, a lot of landscaping, both in the form of street trees as well as ground cover. And, and have incorporated some additional landscaping interior to the parking lot as well both again in terms of of shade trees and ground cover as well now in terms of in terms of functionality the the primary entrance that we expect this facility to be using is is this this driveway intersection here if you can see me circling roughly the middle of the screen uh, vehicles in this particular facility is set up with with a one way queuing and so the vehicles would come in they would go from from left to right across your screen and then be able to enter into a, a fueling position this particular facility is equipped with with six kiosks of which have 12 fueling positions so each each one of these kiosks has a fueling position on either side now the way this system is set up and, and the reason for the one-way queuing is it, it prevents some of those potential conflict or conflicting movements that you might experience at other fueling facilities. A- and similarly, it's, it's arranged in a linear fashion where, where the pumps aren't stacked one into the other because sometimes what that, that enables is a vehicle who might want to get to a stacked pump but can't because there's a vehicle in front of it that's preventing the empty space from being utilized. Further, um, the way this system is arranged is if you pull up to a particular fueling position and you realize, like we probably all have, that your, your tank is on the other side of the vehicle and this facility is equipped such that you could fill a, your side. You don't have to go in reverse and try and re-maneuver. The, the safety measures that are incorporated here, the, the concrete pad and the positive limiting barriers and things of that nature, have been designed to accommodate that particular feature. They're extra wide, they're extra long. Uh, We've incorporated that as part of the original design. Now, as you can see, we have a a fairly wide, what I'm gonna call, referred to here for the purposes of this discussion, a a queuing entrance. And what that enables us to do is bring the vehicles into the property. If, If there is, in the event, an unexpected queue or where vehicles are waiting and all the fueling positions are occupied temporarily, that allows for this particular site to have those vehicles be contained within this interior queue. This distance from the canopy to the the opposite curb is approximately 50 feet. Um, That that really enables two vehicles to to get into that position, as well as another vehicle who could be fueling, which that's a fairly significant amount of capacity. And and similarly, um, all those turning movements are designed to be exiting as you'd be coming in and then taking a left across the property. Um, And then you could come out, stop controlled, and then exit the site as would be a normal and customary traffic pattern for for this particular facility. The kiosk in the middle, um, that kiosk there is, is designed for attendance only of which there are customarily two on staff at a given time and really there to facilitate and help customers who may need assistance for whatever reason And as Mark mentioned before, you you could purchase a a membership to BJ's, but you can't buy anything else It's not a convenience store that might be selling Gatorade or other products that you'd expect at a a customary convenience facility. There are two parking spaces here, uh, one of which is accessible, the other of which is your conventional parking space. Um, It does have the ability for a, a backup power supply in the event that power was temporarily lost. Um, That's been a benefit, frankly, at at a number of different BJS facilities because if emergency response personnel need to refuel a vehicle or the community need to get gas for generators or other reasons, this facility is designed to operate in the event of a power loss, Um, and that's been an added benefit that we've seen at other similar facilities. In terms of access and operation, this striped area that you can see at the bottom of the rendering That area has been designed to accommodate a fuel delivery vehicle, which would be entering the property from from Middlesex, would pull in and get out of the travel way, pull up next to this concrete pad, which has the, the fuel ports for the underground fuel tanks. It would deliver fuel and it would leave the site. And the reason we've provided that there is because it allows for that fuel delivery vehicle to enter the property, immediately exit any kind of vehicle travel lane for access to the property. It also enables them to operate and use the site as it is currently intended and to follow existing truck patterns which are clearly demarcated and defined on this property. You can see kind of this, this blurry arrow here but that that blurry arrow that I'm circling, that's the defined truck route as well as the signage that's it's on the site and this arrangement allows for that truck to quickly enter, quickly exit, and then maintain circulation patterns as originally intended and previously uh, approved for the original facility. Um, As as Mark had mentioned, we had spent a fairly extensive amount of time with the Conservation Commission, reviewing the layout, the improvements, uh, stormwater, landscaping, uh, among other things. From a stormwater perspective and generally speaking, uh, stormwater is collected by way of uh, roof leaders that are gonna be on the canopy, as well as inlets. You, perhaps you can see them, perhaps you can't, but I'm circling them. There are four locations, uh, kind of uh, different quadrants on the site. Those collect runoff and direct them to a stormwater quality unit. That is a mechanical system that is designed to collect, treat and attenuate stormwater flows before they're ultimately de- directed to the existing outlet, which is located just to the north of that. Now, as was alluded to, um, we, we did permit this project with the Conservation Commission. The existing resource area, the wetland resource area is located to the north. Uh, you can perhaps see it. It's the thin gray line that's located that I'm tracing here. Uh, this, this project does not propose any work beyond the existing limit of the curb that's immediately approximate to that wetland system but for some of the landscaping that we're doing in here and some of the pavement that is being removed so as as mark mentioned this project has been unanimously approved by the conservation commission we attended multiple hearings worked through a number of comments and that that feedback was was uh, welcome and, and and frankly make this project project better um as as far as lighting is concerned the the project does have Uh, LED lighting under the canopy to to illuminate the concrete pad and the feeling positions that are directly below it. Those lights are, as I mentioned, LED, but also downward facing and recessed into the canopy to provide very directional lighting, and and as such, does not provide kind of an expanded halo that that might extend beyond the concrete pad. Uh, At select locations, we also have pole-mounted lights that are intended to illuminate specific intersections or driveway patterns. Um, those are also LED, they are shielded and cut off, so they're they're not creating the halo or the upward glow. And again, uh, very directional and for specific purposes. This project, as you, you may have guessed, it does result in the reduction of the overall parking that is currently provided at the property. Currently, the property has 429 existing spaces. With the construction of this fueling facility, it would have 344 spaces, which still exceeds the minimum requirement of 322 spaces that is described in the city's zoning ordinance. So it does still have an exceedance of parking as it relates to the ordinance, even with the construction of the fueling facility. And and as I've mentioned, uh, this this particular portion of the parking lot was, was specifically selected because it is Hardly utilized, if at all, and, and represents a, f- a fairly well underly utilized portion of the property and, and makes a lot of sense uh, in, in that regard. And also strictly from an operational perspective, uh, utilities, uh, this particular kiosk is going to be serviced by electric, water and sewer uh, for simply the, the staff members that are going to be occupying and using this facility. It's not a very high demand at all. it's, it's simply just for, for the employees who might be utilizing uh, kiosk during, during business hours. Business hours for this particular facility are proposed to be from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m, which, which is uh, fairly consistent with, with BJ's operations. You might see different hours at, at other facilities, but this particular one is proposed to be open from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m and, and is a members only facility, as I I believe Patrick mentioned at the opening uh, comments. I'm going to take a deep breath and pause. I've been talking for a few minutes. If anybody has any additional questions or or things you'd like me to clarify before we we kind of wrap up, and what I'd like to do is have Sean from Vanoss talk about some of the traffic, but I didn't want to skip over any questions you might have on some of the site or engineering components.
11: Austin, just one point of clarification I wanted to make, and I I, I think all the the board members understood, but so the kiosk itself in the middle is just a 200-square-foot building, so that's where the attendant would be, and the dispenser islands themselves would be, you know, to the left and to the right of of where the kiosk is. So um, there's no fuel dispensing happening from the kiosk itself. I I think that that was... um, Again, everyone understands that, but I just wanted to make that clear, so. Thank
0: you, any questions from board members? Why doesn't the uh, the proponent continue with the presentation?
13: Okay. Sure, um, so what I think, uh, Mark, and if you want to segue that, you're welcome to. Um, I think what we'd like to have is Sean Kelly from Vanoss talk about his assessment of the traffic and, and what's resulted from that.
14: Uh, thank you, Austin. Uh, good evening, Mr. Chairman and, and members of the board. Um, again, for the record, Sean Kelly, uh, Traffic Engineer with the Van Associates. On behalf of the project team, um, thank you again for, for hosting this this meeting tonight. What I'd like to do is take a few minutes to walk you through our traffic assessment, um, how it was conducted, what our findings were, what our recommendations are, and I'd be happy to answer any questions uh, members of the board may have. Can advance, Austin?
13: Uh, I think you have the slides, Sean. Oh, I have it, okay. Uh, yeah, so you gotta share your screen, I believe. It's not letting me share. I think perhaps I'm
7: on it. You should have access now.
14: Uh, uh, I'm still not seeing it.
13: So, Sean, the share should be at the bottom center of the screen as the fly up and window, the green button in the middle.
14: Is that visible now? Yep, I can see it. Yep. I'm still not seeing it for some reason. Um bear with me. I apologize if this isn't coming up.
0: You might have to you have to choose your window. Uh, after you share a screen, it'll ask you which of your open windows you'll want to share, and you click on that and it you should be able to see it. That helps.
14: Is it showing up now? Yes, we can see it. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to maximize. Um, all right, well, you can see the cursor as well? Yep. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, so again, um, we, we conducted our, well, like, first I'll give it an uh, overview. I, th- I think we're all familiar with the project site, um, but again, that's the BJ's Wholesale Club uh, located off of uh, Middlesex Avenue to the east, Fellsway to the west. Um, the access to the site today consists of a full access driveway onto Middlesex Avenue, stop sign controlled and then a right in right out driveway onto Fellsway, which um, is median divided and doesn't allow for left turns. Um, The the initial um, work we did, we had a meeting and discussed the the study area scope with your community um, development department and traffic engineering department. And we were scoped to look at um, 11 study area intersections, um, ranging from Central Street uh, to the north up in in Malden, uh, over to Medford Street to Highland. Uh, moving down Highland, we looked at the entrance to the, um, the Town Line Shopping Center, we looked at the site access, we looked at Woodland uh, Avenue, we looked at Riverside, and then down to 9th. Um, going on Fellsway, we looked again at Central, we looked at the BJ's driveway, which is unsignalized, we looked at the intersection with, uh, also with 4th Street, the pedestrian signal, uh, Riverside Avenue, and then internal to the neighborhood to the south, we also looked at the intersection of Bradbury and Riverside Avenue. So this was the, the scope to, to, to put it in context. This, um, this radius is approximately a half a mile from the site. It's a fairly extensive scope. Um, you know, typically for a study of, of this, for a project of this size, it's, it, it's a pretty hefty scope, but we, but we looked at it um, as directed. We went out and did um, traffic counts to get, to get a handle on existing conditions. We looked at daily traffic flows, peak hour traffic flows. Uh, our study focused on the weekday morning Weekday evening and Saturday midday. The, the morning and evening are your, your peak commuter times. And then the Saturday midday is, um, is, is really more of a shopping peak. Um, we also went out and did um, uh, video recordings of the action of the driveway with BJ's Hits Middlesex Avenue. Um, it's important to note this driveway doesn't op- op- operate as an isolated driveway. It's on a quarter that's a, it's a fairly busy quarter. There are a number of um, traffic signals to the north and south, there are a number of commercial driveways. And as such, the, you know, the, the intersection really interacts with some of the other movements on the corridor, whether it's traffic lights providing gaps in traffic or movements in and out of other driveways that also provide gaps. So what we did is we went out and, and looked at the delays that actually exist there during these peak periods. We, we counted every car that pulled up, how long they waited. What we saw was that you know, the, the driveway flares as you reach Middlesex Avenue and it effectively operates as a two lane driveway. That is, cars can go left and go right simultaneously. And based on that, we were able to calibrate the model so that we were looking at really real world conditions, not um, just what a a, computer model would indicate. We looked at um, motor vehicle crash data for for the study area. We looked at the last uh, five years that were available at the time. Um, None of the locations that we looked at were uh, exhibited high crash rates. They were all below the state average, uh, both for signalized and unsignalized intersections. So that, that, that really is, uh, in a nutshell, the, the existing condition assessment. We went out and looked at how things are today. Uh, we projected out into the future to account for uh, growth and background traffic, both independent of any project and then also project specific. Again, we, we consulted with the Community Development Department. They identified a number of projects, um, the 320 Middlesex Avenue apartments to the north of us. Uh, station landing, 61 locusts, um, the Meadow Glen mall redevelopment, um, future development at River's Edge. So we we obtained all those studies, factored in those volumes, and and, and basically assigned those trips into the study area so that we were accounting for that growth uh, in the future. With respect to the project itself, uh, we rely on data that's published by the the Institute of Transportation Engineers, or the ITE, uh, and the ITE um, provides data for, for land use code 944 gasoline service station um, based on the number of pumps. It tells you how many trips you can expect to have on an hourly basis, uh, which is shown in this first column, total driveway volume. I think it's it's worth pointing out that uh, this data isn't specific to a, to a BJ store. This is just any typical gasoline service station. So um, some of these trips, you know, may be things that, that we simply don't offer. You know, we won't have a convenience uh, store Component where someone stops them to pick up a pack of cigarettes or play the lottery or get a drink um, We won't have a service station. No one's going to go there to get an oil change or get their brakes done It's it's really purely for for fueling and it's it's only for gasoline. So um, but these are the IT numbers We expect that given John, that John, I just want to make sure um, I can't actually see that screen.
11: I want to make sure that um, Is is that on for everyone right now the Screen that Sean Sean's referring to. Yes.
14: Okay. Great. Sorry about that. Oh no problem. Um, so during particularly during the evening and the Saturday hours, we expect that a, a significant portion of this traffic is going to be internal trips. That is, people that are already shopping at BJ's um, will either get gas before they the go to BJ's or after they go to BJ's. Um, and when we when we counted similar facilities that that weren't exclusive to BJ's customers, what we saw was that you know, up to 30% of these trips are, are internal. Given that if you're not a customer, you can't shop here. We expect that particularly during the evening and Saturday peaks when traffic's busy, much of our traffic, half of it will be customers that are already going to the store. They either gas up before or gas up after. In the morning, we took a more modest 10% um, internal capture simply because the, the store isn't that busy and we, we, there isn't enough volume to, to, to justify that. Uh, the ITE data also indicates that you know forty to sixty percent of, of gas station trips, and actually ranges as high as eighty-seven percent, are pass-by trips. That is, uh, you know, you're driving by the site, um, you know, you're en route to another destination, but you'll pop in and get gas and, and then continue on your way. Uh, you know, this the BJ's Club serves residents in this community. Many that travel on Fellsway or Middlesex Avenue for commuting purposes or other purposes, and, and we feel that you know we took a modest twenty-five percent, which is these people you know when they're driving in that area even if they're not shopping at BJ's simply because there is a bit of a discount and again you have to be a member that they would become off the quarter the of travel that's already there so when you net all this out what you end up with is um in terms of the actual new trips you know in the morning we're going to have about 40 new customers arriving 40 new customers leaving um evening 30 in 30 out and then Saturday midday it's, it's again is about 30 and 30 out so that's the the level of, of total increase in new trips, both coming out Middlesex Ave and going out Fellsway. We looked at the distribution, we assigned the trips, and this chart here essentially shows um, that the top row is the morning, the mid row is the PM, and the last row is the Saturday. These are the increases in terms of new trips per hour that each of these intersections will accommodate. And as you see, when you're, when you're proximate to the driveway on Middlesex, you know the increases are in the order of about 30 cars an hour so it, a car every other minute. Um, as you move away from the site you get over towards the Fellsway you know, the, the area and points up towards Malden. The volumes are even lower you know 15, 8, in some cases we're down to you know five, four, five, six trips. In terms of percentage increase um, you know it's, it's in the order of about one to two percent or, or less in, in most of the instances so it's not a um, not a huge increase beyond what you have today. And again, just to reiterate, these have, these are all existing uh, BJ's customers. We looked at the impacts to operations um, in terms of delays, and in, in, in almost all instances, the delays that an average motorist will experience beyond what they have um, in the future, independent of this project, are one to two seconds, which you know, quite frankly, is typically uh, not noticeable to the to your average motorist. Um, in terms of our recommendations, they're, they're really focused on, you know, site access, circulation, making sure that you know, the site operates in a safe and efficient manner. You know, we recommended that they, they regularly, you know, review the access onto both uh, Middlesex Ave and Fellsway, that you know, pavement markings and signage to the extent they have to be replaced are done in accordance with MUTCD design criteria. Um, we've looked at the fueling deliveries and the auto turn analyses to ensure that that works, that the trucks can get in, and get out without impeding inbound and outbound flows at the driveway and the networks as well. Um, we've looked at the on-site circulation, I know Austin touched on that. And, and again, we're looking at a, at a one way uh, counterclockwise circulation, the driveway into the fueling facility has been situated. So it's 300 feet back from Middlesex to provide storage for um, about 15 vehicles, which is more than you would ever need. There's, there's no conflict, there won't be any friction between people going in and out of the fueling facility and people entering and exiting the site from the main access drive. Um, so, you know, with these measures in place, we're confident that the project um, impacts will be will be the and and again, we expect the bulk of this traffic will be the people that are already shopping at BJ's with their current memberships, or members that are again, you know, driving in the area. We, I mean, if you think about it from a the way you, if you ever think about how many times you've left your house specifically just to go and fill up your gas tank and come home, um, you probably don't do it that often. It's it's typically part of a multi-purpose trip. Um, and given that this, again, is a, is a members only club, we expect that that will, will certainly be the case in, in the majority of instances. Um, I guess I would just close by saying we, we did receive comments from the, the city's uh, traffic engineering department. I know there was some, um, some concern that perhaps we could take a look at the, the driveway uh, aprons and look at some of the ADA accessibility and perhaps upgrade that. And it's something that we'll certainly, um, you know, explore further as, we, as this advances. Again, both of these um, driveways are on roads that are controlled um, not by the city of Medford, but by MassDOT and DCR. So, anything that we do out there would need to have their um, their sign off. But it, but it's something we'll certainly look at moving forward. And I think that's that's really all I have for tonight. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions that the members of the board have. I actually have a question, um,
2: Andre. Sorry, Andre, you're on mute. I didn't
4: hear.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Going between windows. I couldn't find the window again. Um, before we do that, Jackie, uh, could I just confirm with the proponents that they've received the uh, the comment letters from the, the city department heads? Uh, you already referenced uh, one, but uh, I believe there's from engineering division, uh, Tim McGivern and Todd Blake, Fire Chief Gilberti, uh, DPW Director Karens. and uh, have you have you received those letters? And do you understand what's required? We have, I believe. Todd Blake is available for uh, uh, to answer questions
11: as well. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, this is Mark Vaughn, Mr. Chairman. Yeah, we, we are in a receipt of all of those uh, communications from the city departments that you uh, referenced. Um, I think the only one that uh, was of uh, uh, substance or, or um, items that need to be looked at would be the uh, the one from the city engineer, but um, and the traffic engineer. Um, so we're, we're comfortable you know resolving those items um and i think as sean had mentioned to that that there needs to be a follow-up uh dialogue with the city's traffic engineer on those we're happy to have that
0: uh well could we are you prepared to uh to do uh, what they're what they're asking or does there need to be discussion tonight about that before we proceed
11: i guess i would defer to uh sean on some of the uh, traffic-related items, I, I think on the on the civil engineering side, I don't think there are any issues, Austin. But uh, please, jump. maybe uh, Sean, you could start off on the on the traffic side.
14: Right. Well, I, I think if the the main comments in terms of you know potential uh, measures to be implemented again revolved around the the driveways both onto. Uh, Middlesex and on Fell's Way, uh, the, the current ramps are not ADA compliant, and there was a desire to have those upgraded as well as the um, the, the crosswalks. Is yeah, and I, I don't I don't see that as something that you know we we can't explore. Um, I don't I don't see an issue there. Some of the issues in terms of potential striping, we, we would need to review again with DOT. Again, it's it's, it's their corridor, and ultimately they'll have they have jurisdiction as to what we can do out there.
13: And then, and then Mr. Chair that with respect to the comments from the city engineering department, they were um, thoughtful and, and highly technical in nature, but um, there were only a handful of them that require any slight modifications to the plan. And it's more of a technical refinement, I guess I would call that. And we have we have no issue addressing those. I spoke to Mr. McGivern um, on multiple occasions and, and feel very comfortable that those comments are, are not gonna impact the plan.
0: So because since we are we have a public hearing and we are considering site plan review and a a recommendation uh, as early as tonight, I I guess we would like to know whether you are prepared to which ones you're prepared to accept. And if you have uh, issues with any of them, which ones you are not, we could go through them one by one uh, if you need to
13: um with with respect to the the comments provided by the city engineer uh yes. independent of the traffic discussion we're prepared to accept those comments in fact we've already begun to just make those refinements to the plan to address those great thank you
0: uh, on the traffic side could we have a little bit more discussion about that
11: uh So uh, this is Mark Vaughn again, I'm going to defer to Sean, but I think um, some of that may be related to the, the state of the DCR jurisdiction over some of those roads in terms of what can be um, accommodated. So
14: I think to some degree, we may be dependent upon that. Is that correct, Sean? That's right. I, I think the, the upgrade of the, of the accessibility, um, you know, certainly something that we could, I don't see an issue with that. There was some comments about looking at. Um, I know there was a question about, you know, should there be a pedestrian connection to the neighborhood to the south? Um, you know, it, but he did indicate, you know, if the residents want that connection, um, you know, I, I don't know that we're in position to offer that tonight. You know, if there right. is a desire to have that connection to the neighborhood, um, in terms of some of the striping changes on on uh, Middlesex Ave itself, again, it's 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 outside of. Um, of city jurisdiction, so we would need to know if MassDOT would support that. Um, and, and again, we haven't we haven't had the opportunity to run that by them. Uh, so I, I think that in terms of the, the the accessibility, the handicap accessibility, ADA compliance, I think we can certainly look at that at both driveways. But the, the striping on on Middlesex Ave again is, is it wouldn't be something we could offer and commit to because we just don't have jurisdiction, and the city doesn't either. Uh,
4: Andre, can I make a statement and a question?
1: Yes, please. Yeah.
4: Uh, first off, I always make this statement when Vanas and Associates is presenting because I work for a company that works with them. Um, I have not worked on this project and I don't think it will affect my decision. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, my question, Sean, is um, is this going through MassDOT review anyways or because it's all contained in the site, it doesn't have to?
14: Um, I, we, we had an initial consultation with MassDOT a while back and, and, and they indicated that we would not be required to get a, a new highway access permit for the project.
4: Because the curb cut is already already there. That's right.
14: That's right. And they, I believe they considered it covered under the, under, the curb, under the permit that was already issued. So now there, there, there is no need to get a new DOT access permit.
4: So only if you were to touch uh, Middlesex Ave or the Fells Way, you would have to go through.
14: If we did geometric changes, correct andre this is todd may i speak
0: yes please i was going to call on you thank you todd the city traffic engineer todd
1: lake
15: thank you andre um so yeah he's correct and i reached out to both dcr mass just to kind of ask that question myself um just and just to kind of give him a heads up that you know we may be suggesting improvements on their roads but you know we've done it before for 61 locusts and others where we just say subject to their approval so the way I see that is if the board saw fit to, you know, approve with conditions that included something on state road, you know, they would approach, the project would approach the state entities. And if the state, you know, didn't agree, then they wouldn't necessarily have to fulfill that because they tried to, and the state didn't agree. This is my interpretation of um, what, what happened there.
0: And Todd, would you be able to just summarize quickly for the board and the public? Uh, What you're recommending in terms of uh, road and sidewalk adjustments and apron adjustments?
15: Yes, I could speak about my recommendations, and I also um, could mention that I did see a copy of a letter from some uh, neighborhood folks that had some concerns about traffic as well. Um, And I know this gets tricky for some of the public and maybe even the board too, where uh, my comments may relate to bike infrastructure and keeping one lane on Middlesex Ave where someone else's may involve recommending left turn lanes and things like that. And um, it, it does seem counterintuitive to people, but there's different points of view for that. So whether, whether um, I would rely on the community, what they want more, um, but I'll go into my comments.
4: Okay,
15: thank you for the clarification. Um, so on my comments, I, I do touch upon some, you know, my concerns with the study that kind of outline that the real amount of trips added to the surrounding network may be more than they projected. So basically, I'm saying that even though the one to two second delay, um, it may be, once it's built, it may be more than that because of some of the reductions they took for the internal trips and the pass by trips. Um, You know, some of that was. Basically pass- by trips you know majority of those aren't necessarily going to be members so it may not be the, the same typical pass by reduction if it was non-member gas station um, and then so so basically I wanted to give people the residents of Medford a real sense of well the IT number with the reductions the daily number is 928 but if you didn't take any reductions it could be up to 2,000 on the surrounding network per day so it's you know it's a range and all this stuff is um, estimated so it's it's um you know you won't really know until after the fact so i based my comments on the likelihood that there would be some impact you know because it definitely will be more than what's out there now um and we have a complete streets policy in the city of medford so this was reviewed with that in mind as well because it's a very auto-centric site and the additional use would be auto-centric as well and so it had kind of that overall umbrella to it. Um, so as, as Sean pointed out, there's some things that each driveway on the Middlesex side and the Fellsway side to update ramps and crosswalks and things like that. Um, but comment number 15 I had um, basically comments that the overall site, again, is very auto-centric because it was built um, a while back, so it doesn't necessarily provide a good pedestrian connection for neighborhood folks from Middlesex Ave to the front door of BJ's, So even though the the proposal is for the gas station use, it's it's part of the overall site, and um, it's very auto-centric, and some of the things that they're doing at the gas station actually further make it less accessible for pedestrians to get from the neighborhood to the store. So we recommended to improve pedestrian access from Middlesex Ave, to the retail entrance and from fellsway to the retail entrance so within the site itself there are there's a lack of sidewalks to get all the way from middlesex Ave to the retail um, and with the addition of that pull off for the um fueling that actually prohibits that even more in a, in a spot that would potentially be a sidewalk uh, walkway um, I did mention a potential connection to Woodruff out to the South because on street view, I noticed there was a break in the fence and we've all encountered other sites where that type of stuff happens. And some, depending on the location, some neighborhoods and residents want to formalize those connections and some don't. So I rely on whatever the community wants. If they want to formalize that, I'm saying that BJ should formalize it, but if they don't, then they should keep the fence um, repaired in a good condition. So, so that there was a break in the fence on the south side closest to the uh, power substation. Um, so we've experienced that in at least two other projects, one where they wanted to keep it, and one where they didn't. Um, so my other comment to try to to add bicycle infrastructure on Middlesex Avenue in the form of bicycle lanes from First Street to the Malden City line. So the intent of that is to formalize some of the wide-open travel lanes around Middlesex Ave in that stretch where there's no parking on the street. So it would kind of formalize a single lane and help control some of the it it may help control the traffic in the sense of traffic calming and especially in the Mm s-curve vicinity of the site driveway even though the study said the 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 traffic study report said that sight lines were adequate they are per calculations but practically there are some issues and they're raised in the resident letter that was submitted Um, i think by formalizing these wide open lanes by adding the bicycle infrastructure, it might help with that. So, we suggested doing formal bike lanes from first to Malden City Line and then Sherrows from first down to Fifth Street. Then, we said to consider Sherrows from Fifth to Ninth as well. And also, this may be a little bit out of the board's purview, but we could work with Malden to extend the protected bike lanes on the Highland Ave side of the city line, up to Dever Street, Malden, and Sharrows up to Medford Street to provide a nice um, continuous section of bicycle infrastructure. DCR actually took it upon themselves to do the Fellsway side already.
0: Can you, um, for the general public, uh, explain what Sharrows are, Todd?
15: Yes, Sharrows are a symbol that are placed in the center of the roadway. At least, per our Medford Bike Commission, that's where they prefer them to have have them placed. Um, They're basically just to remind motorists that cyclists are also allowed to be in the travel lane. So it's more of an awareness thing of cycling versus a bike lane, which is usually off to the side with a line on either side of the symbol. This is just a symbol in the middle of the road with a double arrow in front of it to alert drivers. That cyclists can be there as well.
0: Thank you. And in terms of the uh, the the crosswalks at the entrance, like on Middlesex Ave, that's a very very wide entrance to that site, and I'm I'm wondering whether uh, I, I'm trying to look at your comments here, Todd. Are you recommending narrowing that at all? And there's no crosswalk painted there uh, at all.
15: Um, it, it would it would be a good idea to narrow them. And I actually did have that verbiage in my original comments for the Fellsway Ave side. But I do also know that to accommodate the truck turns for the deliveries in the back to BJs and also a potential fuel and truck, that it's likely that they were already designed in the sense of you know, to accommodate those. So, so I don't I didn't necessarily ultimately think that they could be narrowed without um, impacting facilitating the truck turns in and out. but it should be it is a good point. It, it could be looked at even if they could be narrowed by a couple feet on either side. Yeah, there's
0: no crosswalk painted there at all, so at a minimum. Um, yeah,
15: the, yeah, the crosswalks and ramps there's no crosswalk they should paint that. that's in the comment. and, and also the, side,
7: the sidewalk is also
4: in uh, poor condition. I think you had that in your comments.
15: yeah, I think Tim covered those in his it's not uncommon to reconstruct the sidewalk and the entire length of the property, which is you know something we've been consistent with with other projects like this. Um, the ramps, although they exist, they're not compliant as as Sean pointed out, they look at that so. The, the really thing that stuck out is the, the walkway within the site because it's a considerable distance from Middlesex to the retail entrance. And the left-hand side of the driveway entering is just a green space buffer right now. And the right side will become that fueling station pullover. So there'd be basically no walkway. If a neighborhood person wanted to walk, even though it's a um, wholesale club, you know, someone could go there for just a small trip on a bicycle or walking. And right now they would basically be forced to walk in the center of the driveway.
0: Uh, so Mr. Sean Kelly, could you respond to uh, some of these issues that have just been raised? And right, well, well, again, I,
14: just just to reiterate, I don't I don't see this as going to be any issue in terms of, you know, reconstructing a wheelchair ramp to get, get it to meet current ADA criteria. Uh, certainly striping a crosswalk, I don't think is, is something that, um, anyone's going to have an issue with, I think it, it makes sense. It improves the pedestrian accessibility. Again, the, the bicycle lanes, you know, we, we, we can't, um, we can't commit to that unless there was a, you know, caveat that it required mass DOT approval because they may, they may not want to have the bike lane. It, it's, it's tough to say without, you know, writing it by them. It's their jurisdiction. But, but I think that the driveway components make sense. And, and if there is a way to improve pedestrian accessibility for Middlesex, um, you know, it's something that we can look at. Yes.
0: Uh, and what do you think about the uh, the entrance on Middlesex Ave is that uh, from a pedestrian point of view, it's very dangerous, very wide. Uh, it's great that you could be willing to put a crosswalk in. Can we, uh, and ramps, are you willing to uh, be able to na- narrow that at all?
14: On to Middlesex, you said? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I- Want to the entrance the in
0: particular—it's a hu- it's a it's a really huge entrance. Um,
14: uh, are we are we talking Middlesex or Fellsway?
0: No, Middlesex.
14: Uh, I well, the Middlesex driveway. Quite frankly, you know, we need to maintain a certain level of width because we have truck deliveries coming in there, and they're coming off a one-lane road. So there there is a, there is a need to have a certain geometry to get trucks in and get trucks out. Um, and furthermore, the you know the, the width of the driveway itself is is, is beneficial, um, as I pointed out. You know, we looked at you know, three hours of video. One of the things that actually really helps that driveway in, in its operations is that that added width at the at the Middlesex, um, I'll call it terminus, you know, allows people that are going left to, to make simultaneous turns with someone going right. So it is a benefit because it, it allows for minimization of the queue into the site and it, it allows for better traffic operations. If you're turning right and someone's going left, you, you're not necessarily stuck behind them. You can bypass them on the right. So I don't, I don't know that there's, there's a whole lot of ability to tighten that up because we do need to get deliveries, both both fuel and even deliveries to the existing BGS wholesale club. Um, I, I think the pedestrian improvements make sense, absolutely, and I think you know, to the extent that there's a way to get a, a connection into the site itself, that would make sense. But I, I, don't, I don't know if we want to have these drives be that tight because we, we do get truck deliveries and, and, and would like to get fuel deliveries as well.
4: And I think
13: to that extent too. This is Austin Turner. I, I think we also want to be cognizant of the fact that you know emergency response vehicles need to still maneuver through driveways. But your your point's understood, and I think I think you know, Sean articulated fairly well the, the geometry. It's kind of advantageous to have it for a number of reasons, some of which are operational. But I think you know the pedestrian considerations, upgrading the sidewalk or, or rebuilding the sidewalk along the product frontage is appropriate and some enhanced pedestrian accommodations, be a crosswalk or signage that helps define that corridor,
11: I think we're amendable too.
15: So okay. Andre, can I,
11: can I yeah. go ahead, Todd.
15: So this gets back into some of the catch 22 with traffic. Um, so the driveway itself, yes, to allow right turns and left turns simultaneously out helps with queuing in the site and it helps with operations so those folks don't have to wait as long. But it's also, you know, if you were to make it one lane, it could be better for sight lines because when vehicles are stacked side by side, they could prohibit each other. And um, so there may be a way to accommodate trucks as well as make the shorter crossings potentially if you investigate a median instead. So instead of shortening and narrowing on both sides, you might be able to look at a median to provide a refuge halfway across. And I know that would eat into space, but if you ate into the space that the project folks are saying for a left and right turn out, it would revert back to operating as a one lane and the queue would only really impact the site, not the street. Um, And it would provide potentially shorter crossings and make it feel less wide. Um, The other comment, it didn't seem like Sean Austin, unless I missed it, comment as much on the connection from the street all the way to the retail entrance.
13: So if we were we could we could potentially consider a a connection, a pedestrian connection from Middlesex. I think the, the spot that struck me as the, the highest potential for for that would be. Along the National Grid Electric Substation, there is, there is, uh, some, some buffer there that runs along the side of the driveway that perhaps could accommodate some pedestrian accommodations. And then maybe look at opportunities to, to do that in some of the islands that flank the primary entrance driveway as well. Uh, I don't know if that geometry exists. And, and just frankly, when I'm shopping at BJ's, I don't know, um, how frequently I drive in there and then carry a pallet of water out this, walking, usually I'm in a car. So I don't know that some of the products here are, are, are overly conducive to, to being on foot, but if, if that's the preference of this particular board that we look to see if we can accommodate additional pedestrian connectivity, we'd, we'd be happy to do that.
0: So let me just, uh, I just wanna share my screen for a moment because I wanna share what uh, what I'm talking about here. So this is the entrance to the site uh, on Middlesex Ave, and this entrance right here from this sidewalk all the way over here, all the way over here, that's very dangerous in my opinion, and I don't think it's, uh, I don't think that entire width is necessary. In fact, you see right here that there was clearly, was, did not used to be that wide at some point. So that, that's really what I'm talking about. The exit um, I don't find terrible. I, I see, you know, you could have a car here for a left turn and a car here for right turn, that's fine. Uh, it definitely needs crosswalks and uh, for sure. Um, and, but, but it's really this side right here that I'm that I'm most concerned about. It doesn't seem like you need that much for the entrance and it really cuts off all of the potential pedestrian area here. Uh,
13: Mr. Chair, uh- to to the extent that it it pleases the board um, and and you, perhaps we could have additional conversations with Mr. Blake about some of his comments and if there's any potential for additional geometric changes to the extent that they make sense and can still facilitate operations, we can explore that further.
0: Okay. All right, well, I don't wanna take up any more time with my comments. Uh, I'd like to um, just stop sharing here. Uh, I know uh Jackie you wanted you had a comment a, a while back so let me let you jump in and then I'll open it up to the board members
4: yes
2: mine is uh going back to um the traffic and I just want I wanted clarity on one I see that we're doing uh that um general use estimates were u- uh, used um and I'm a little thrown off by that only for the simple fact that as uh, Todd Blake, our uh, the city's uh, transportation engineer, has pointed out, Middlesex Ave is hugely auto-centric. I already know that there's traffic congestion up and down Middlesex Avenue. And so you would already be, you would be adding to the existing uh, conditions. And so I'm, uh, I deduced that there'd be more impact than described here. And so, and also on top of that, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a thing, but we, what was used was gas station uh, trip generations, but BJ's is retail. And I understand that BJ's is already existing, but uh, I believe Mr. Kelly, you mentioned earlier, may not have been you that people always ask you, or I apologize. That was Mr. Uh, Natriber that actually mentioned people say all the time, why can't we go to Medford for gas and everything? We go to Stone and Revere. That's going to, that's going to generate more traffic. Uh, And you've noted you've wrapped that up yourself saying that it already generates more traffic They have to go all the way to Stone and Revere. Now they're going to come all the way to Medford So that's higher traffic generation right there. It's going to have a higher use at that BJ's So I just I I just wanted to point that out about The the estimates that were used and just um, trying to figure out a little bit more about um, How you concluded to Pretty much do feasible mitigation for identified issues for traffic
6: Right. Well,
14: again, we, we, we did our trip generation based on the gas station component. We, we don't generate for the BJ's because, you know, those trips are there. And we accounted for that as part of the um, of the counts that we did when we, when we looked at the existing traffic going to and from. So we, we've accounted for both the existing BJ's trips, you know, and the other trips. Um, I, and I, I maybe I mischaracterized what was said. I, I think what what the way I took it was that the customers at this store wish they had the same amenities that they have at the other stores, whether it's Revere or whether it's, you know, Stodem. Um, you know, to save ten cents a gallon, if I lived in you know in, in the neighborhood south of here, would I drive to Revere or Medford to, to save a dollar on gasoline? Probably not. Um, certainly wouldn't do it during you know peak commuter hours or the peak Saturday hours. I mean, we're, when you when you look at it, you know, if you're saving ten cents a gallon, you put ten gallons in your car, you, you're saving a dollar. I'm not going to drive that far to save a dollar. Um, I'm certainly not going to drive from Medford to Stone to save a dollar. I'll, I'll spend more in gas going to get the gas than I would saving saving the money. So. We expect that you know this is going to be a, a it's going to be an amenity that the shoppers that are here want to have, and they have expressed that you know other stores get it, and perhaps when they're in that area because they're members they do fuel up. But I don't, I'd be hard pressed to think if I lived off Woodruff Avenue that I'm I'm going to take a trip up you know 95 to Stoneham to gas up. I would probably spend three dollars in, in gas uh, just to save a dollar. So I, I think it really is an amenity for the existing customers. Um, but we have again you know assumed a, a fairly good percentage of this is going to be new traffic. Um, but but a lot of it will be people that are already out there and the na- neighbors that are BJ's members that, you know, maybe they fuel up at another station in the area, but now they know they can save a little bit if they, if they make a move to BJ's instead. Yeah, and, and just to reiterate, I,
11: I think we've um, indicated this is Mark. Uh, and I apologize. My camera's not working. I can I can see and hear everyone. I think you can hear me, but my camera doesn't seem to work working well. Um, just to reiterate, this is BJ membership only, so it would not be open to the, to the general public if, um, if that didn't come across earlier. But I, I think to Sean's point, um, you know, I think of all different types of uses, gas station use uh, typically has the, the highest, you know, pass by percentage uh, of other types of use. And I think if you take that high pass by percentage, meaning people that are already on the road, and are just going to pop in to, to get gas combined with the fact that it's limited to a finite uh, subset of people. Um, certainly, we're not suggesting that there's not going to be an increase in traffic, but uh, we feel that the traffic increase is
1: very, very manageable and uh, smaller than what you otherwise would, would see.